Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 83 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. Joined on the line by David Mirkatani coming to you from St. Louis. Welcome back, David. Good to be back, Andy. Well, David, it's here, man. Final X week has arrived. We've got... Uh, Junior Greco trials coming up this weekend. You're going to be out in Indianapolis for those, along with schoolboy duels. We got uh, the age group national duels coming up this month. Busy, busy week. You think of June. We've talked about this at length in the past too. You think about the off season, and and we've said it before. There is no off season anymore. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the month of June track wrestling, we're streaming an event all but one day of this month. So. June has wow. suddenly become a pretty awesome month for wrestling. You figure in three weekends of Final X, the schoolboy, cadet, junior duels. We've got uh, U23 Euros going on right now. Disney duels coming up later this month. A lot of good stuff going on in June. Kicked this thing off already with Akron, David. And we'll get into Akron yeah. here in a little bit with what went on at the... UWW Cadet tri- World Team Trials, as well as U23 World Team Trials. But first of all, more transfers, David. Haven't seen anything like this in college wrestling that I can recall where it's been this this persistent week after week. It seems like there have been two yeah. or three. Yeah, more high and more high-profile schools and pretty ho- high-profile kids as well. Well, David, since the last time that we recorded, Billy Miller leaving Edinburgh for Virginia Tech, and Keegan Moore from Oklahoma State to Northern Iowa, going to join his brother Peyton on the roster with the Panthers, Uh, Gary Wayne Harding to North Carolina, and Joey Gunther is leaving Iowa. When you look at those, which are going to be the most impactful in your mind? I think it might be Billy Miller, but not in the way that maybe we think. Like, I'm worried about Edinburgh because there's just been kind of a mass exodus. I don't know if maybe it's, you know, like, hopefully they're getting out front of that, getting a bunch of recruits. Feels like there might be a problem. Uh, in terms of roster stuff, I'm not sure these these guys have as much impact as, like, uh, Zeke Moisey or Sean Russell. Um, Egan Moore is obviously, you know, pretty talented. And, you know, qualified for nationals, the same thing with Billy Miller. So, you know, I think those kind of make – they can they can have an impact for sure. Um, I just I, – I, I, you know, Gary Wayne's a really nice kid. I just – I mean, it's nothing to do with anything, but I'm glad he's going to go to a place where he has the fighter's chance to, to break the lineup. I, I, I'm happy for him. He just was – you know, one time I was down there and I needed – like I, I didn't know where something was, and he walked five minutes out of his way just to show me where it was. So I'm happy for him. Um, it just feels like a lot of these guys are, are going to spots where they're going to be in the lineup right away. And um, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit off there. It, you know, it kind of feels like we're heading towards a, a free agency kind of uh, atmosphere, right? It's a little bit that way. Yeah. We haven't seen anything like this before and they've come in waves this year. And I think, uh, to your point about about these guys, I think the one thing with with this group, Keegan Moore. Let's start with him first of all. Triple Crown winner in high school, what three time Minnesota State champ, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty high profile recruit coming out of high school. A really big get for Oklahoma State when they got him. You know, Northern Iowa tried really hard to keep uh, keep the family together there, so to speak, with Cooper Moore already on board with the Panthers. Peyton Moore. Uh, as well you know you wonder if maybe he can rekindle things a little bit too at 184 pounds he'll have uh, Drew Foster be back for the Panthers Uh, so they've they've got an incumbent there at at 184 but uh, certainly you know you look down the line that's a guy I think that uh, you can pair him up with some of these younger guys like that you know that they have Max Thompson Bryce Steyert etc that uh you know, Northern Iowa's got a pretty good uh, nucleus together. If uh, get some of these guys to to step up and perform, 
you know, maybe the way that uh, Max Thompson did a couple years ago when he was in the NCAA semis. Uh, seemed like, you know, we talked about that, that Northern Iowa shift in the rankings last year where, where it seemed like they were bouncing. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, David, they were in the top 10 at one point, weren't they? I think so, because Max was ranked pretty high. I mean, Hoslag was kind of all over the place. He ended up, you know, meddling. But, yeah, they had some, some – uh, they were ranked at 41, and they were ranked pretty high at 25, too, from what I remember. Yeah, Albert and, and Schwarm had a, a great start to the season. Thompson, uh, Lujan as well. Lots of guys that uh, foster, as I mentioned, you know, guys that were in the rankings. And and uh, feels to me like they're going to have a bunch of guys that are uh, in that you know, 7, 8, uh, 13, 14 range that uh, there's such a wide variance there in terms of points where you, know, where you pop up into the top five and suddenly uh, you get two or three guys like that. And all of a sudden you're in the top 10 in the team rankings. If you have some guys that are on, on the outside from nine to 12, nine to 13, nine to 15, suddenly you're, you're down around 20 to 25 again. So that will be a, a pretty interesting team to watch throughout the course of next season. Uh, looking at it, uh, some of the others as well, Billy Miller, you know, multiple time NCAA qualifier, Gary Wayne Harding, Came to Oklahoma State with such high high school credentials. Uh, Joey Gunther, NCAA qualifier this past season, looks like uh, maybe he's getting pushed out at 174. We talked about uh, Michael Kemmerer a couple weeks back about uh, you know just some hints that were being dropped there about him going from 57 to 74, and this certainly lends credence to that as well. David, turning the page to Akron. Fun weekend of wrestling. Got a chance to watch a lot of the stuff that went down out there. I cannot recall, David, a story like this, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but <laughs> Alex Smythe, 32-32, and 32, his first three years at Buffalo, red shirts this past season. I think he was like 14-11 and 11 as, as a red shirt in open competition this past season. Some good wins in there. Nothing in there that would lead you to believe that Alex Smythe is going to make a U23 world team. But the guy went out and did it. He won a lot of tough matches, came from behind in a couple, came from behind uh, in the final series against Evan Wick. I think three takedowns in the final minute against Evan Wick in the decisive third match. Uh, He was down 6-2 in the final two minutes against Aiton Racer in the quarters, came back to win that one 6-6. Trailed 7-2 with less than 90 seconds remaining uh, against Kennedy Monday. Came back and won 10-7 there. It's kind of interesting. You know, I was looking at, you know, just trying to find out who in the world is Alex Smythe and what's his background. How did how did this story um, materialize? And one of his, you know, his bio at Buffalo lists his, his wrestling idols. One of them was Kenny Monday. And he takes out Kenny Monday's son in the semifinals, goes on. And then uh, beats Evan Wick. And so I was just curious about the story because you just don't see a guy like this opposed to 500 record for three seasons and then suddenly pops up and makes a world team. Uh, so I called John Stutzman and told me a little bit about his story and said that each year they wanted to redshirt him, but he was Buffalo's best guy. And so they went into the season with the plan to redshirt and get about a month in and suddenly they'd pull the redshirt and... They're going to do the same thing this year. And Stutzman said he had a friend that kind of talked him out of it and said, you know, hold him back, let him graduate with the other guys that he came in with. They had the patience to do so. He said it was a really beneficial year for Alex Smythe. He said he trained really hard, made a lot of leaps and bounds in terms of progress. And a guy that comes in with uh, 227 high school wins in the state of New York, a couple-time place winner in the top three in New York. And, and this past season posted some wins over uh, Colin Heffernan, Joey Galasso, Cameron Coy. So there, there were glimpses there. But, man, I, I can't remember a story like this. Can you? No, no. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you outlined it. I mean, he, he earned it, and he beat Wick. You know, you know, but Monday was a true freshman that didn't AA, and, and Rachel was a guy that didn't finish the junior college season. So he had a pretty good draw for a guy that wasn't seated. But he's also one of the only guys in the two out of three to actually lose the first match and or you know lose one of the matches and come back and win it two out of three. So 
it's I think you told me what the Buffalo has never had a guy on the world team in like 90 years. Yeah. Is that what you said? That's what Stutzman said. Yep. First world team member in school history. So it's unbelievable for the kid, for the program, for the coach. It helps recruiting at that level. It, it, there's a ton of things there. And, you know, you talk about the haves and the have nots. And that's, you know, awesome that it's going to help them in that case. So, I mean, you can only wrestle the guys that they put in front of you, good or bad. You know, you get a good draw, so what? You get a bad draw, so what? You got to go get it done. So, you know, big shout out to that kid. And you know, he gets to be on a team, and I know we're going to get into this. It's pretty dang good. Um, and that's kind of how you jump levels, too, is getting surrounded by, you know, people at the next level. That's how you raise your level. So um, awesome accomplishment for him, for sure. Well, David, looking at the rest of the team that will be headed to Bucharest, Romania in November, it's a pretty interesting group when you, you throw Smythe in there. Uh, it has two NCAA champs, Miles Martin and Mike Machiavello, another NCAA finalist, Hayden Heidley, who came from behind to beat junior world silver medalist Ryan Deacon with, I don't know if you saw the, the conclusion of that match, but it's pretty incredible. Heidley was down... 2-1, needed a two-point score or two push-outs, uh, wasn't going to win on criteria. And he's in a front headlock with six seconds to go, ducked under him and drove him out of bounds for two to win, three to two. Uh, four other guys on that team are Division One All-Americans, Jack Mueller, David McFadden, Colin Moore, who looked exceptional in the final series, got on top and scored, I think, 14 of his 25 points against Kyle Cannell in that best of three series. Came on uh, gut wrenches, if I'm not mistaken. So Colin Moore turned those around in a big way compared to March when Kyle Cannell, uh, Kyle Cannell won, handed Colin Moore his only two losses out in Cleveland at the NCAA Championships. And the fourth All-American of the group, Yusef Hamida, the heavyweight from Maryland. And then three age group world medalists, Vitaly Ruja, Mitch McKee, and then I, I mentioned more already. He's the other junior world medalist in the group. So it's a, a pretty interesting group that will be headed to Romania. And then certainly Smythe will be one to watch over there just to see if he can keep the momentum going that he generated in Akron. Your thoughts on the team as a whole, David? Well, I was in Stillwater this last weekend, and Bill Zadick was there. And he said he thought the team would be a lot better than last year. That's kind of what you spoke about last year, the timing of the event. And that with the national or the world's being, I think, in October this year instead of November, that more guys would wrestle in it, that this, there was more notice, there was more preparation time. And the brackets were gigantic. I mean, one bracket was a 256-man bracket. Obviously, it was basically a 128 with some pigtail matches, but that's huge. I mean, a couple things that stick out to me. Aiden Heidley's tried to make every world team that he's aged that he could. And I love seeing that. And I love that seeing that kid finally break through. I think that's awesome. Uh, Rujau is interesting. I mean, he, he didn't make the under 20 team and then goes up and makes the under 23 team, which is pretty interesting. And then. I think that this kind of gave some clarity to what Oklahoma State's going to do with their lineup. I mean, I feel like Fix is probably going to go 125. If you really think about that, he needs to try to make the Olympic team or the world team in 2019 at 57 kilos and medal so he can sit in the Olympic trials in 2020. Piccinini was wrestling up at, you know, basically 133. Both, uh, Cade Brock and Gefeller were wrestling 143, so it feels like one of those guys is going to go 41 and one's going to go 49. And Boo was up at 70 kilos, which is 154. It feels like he's going to go 57. Chandler Rogers wrestled way up. I don't really know what to make of that. I don't know what they're, you know, but somehow it feels like Chandler, Joe Smith, and Gear and Jacoby Smith are going to three are going to fill out those three weights, but. I think the 125 question, the 125-33 question to me is kind of answered. I'd, I'll be shocked if if, fix, it is, if it isn't fixed Piccinini in that order. Yeah, I thought it was going to maybe go the other way until this past weekend. And seeing Piccinini up 
in Akron and certainly with Fix staying down and, and he'll be down at 57 kilos, whether he goes to the world championship, senior world championships, if he beats Gilman the best of three this coming weekend, or if he doesn't, and then he wins the special wrestle off to go to the junior world championships in September, he's going to be a 57 kilo guy there. And, and certainly seeing Piccinini up, I think he laid it out perfectly, David. I think, uh, Traella hints, you know, we talked about what Oklahoma State's lineup might look like in November. It certainly looks like there's a trail of hints on on what it you, you could probably put a pretty good guess on what it's going to look like now based off what we saw this past weekend. Yeah, and I was I was talking to Mark Ostrander who's helped both you and me a lot. We were on, I was driving back from Stillwater and we were talking about how in 2019 a lot of these guys that are in the non-Olympic weight classes probably need to get to those Olympic weight classes in 2019 if so that they don't so they're not having to go through the whole tournament and the other guys sit and wait so like it'll be interesting to see like that 79 kilo weight class with Dake and with Valencia and with Deeringer are they going to go up go down stay there in 2019 uh you know you know a couple of these other weights I mean obviously the non-Olympic weights the 61s and the 70s and and those sort of things but yeah, I, I think that that laid itself out pretty clearly, and also that's you know a direct result of why Keegan Moore left. You know, kind of all it's like a Seinfeld episode; it all kind of ties together. So, uh, and the other part of this, which was interesting, was Jack Mueller went down to fifty-seven. So, I mean, I'll probably make a call, but it feels like he might be going back down to one twenty-five. He beat Louis Hayes in the quarters. One of those guys is going to have to go up, but. 125 kind of clears out a lot. Like there's not a lot of depth there. And 33 is absolutely loaded. So if Mueller can make that weight, I mean, he's, he's a, a title or at least a finalist contender at 25. Don't you think? Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. He was in the semifinals as, as a freshman. He got puts you in the mix, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Spencer Lee and Fix are the favorites there, but you know, I mean, Dayton Fix, you can rank him as high as all the stuff he's won or as low as he was losing to Sean Foggs with 15 seconds to go in a folk-style match. So, obviously, Spencer Lee's a massive favorite at that weight. You have a lot of other guys either moved out or graduated, but, I mean, it's it's an inter- that weight class gets very interesting, and Oklahoma State's lineup looks like they might have seven All-Americans in it, you know, so... Um, Maybe one week we'll talk about. Um, we were uh, Mark and I were talking about how the top ten teams might have fifty-five to sixty of the All-Americans next year. That it wouldn't be crazy. And it, I don't know. You're more of a historian than I am about that, but it feels like that's almost borderline, or almost historically rather top-heavy. I don't, you know, but maybe maybe that's normal, and I'm just looking at it differently. But we'll have to do um, some research on that. So, yeah. And you, you're you're the man when it comes to that. I just now the man the man when it comes to that is sitting across the hall from me, Kyle Klingman. He's the guy that knows well, that. That's stuff. your guy. So yeah, you get to, so you guys are the men. Then I got it. <laughs> so I want to rewind though yeah, to, to so something you said though. I think your point about what guys do in 2019. When you look at 2019, yep. the World Championships are September, going to be in September. The Senior Level World Championships. And then the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken, in 2020 are in July, late July over in Tokyo. So when you think about weight class adjustments, and I look at David Taylor, and it it took him, what, it took him a two-year period to build into 86 kilos, right? The first Mm -hmm. year that he was down, he was not as, he, I don't know how to put it, maybe as fluid, he didn't look like David Taylor the first year that, that he was up at 86 kilos. The second year he, he was up at 86 kilos, he looked like David Taylor again, shooting low singles. He even talked about that, you know, maybe just some, some difficulty that he had with timing and things, things of that nature, just getting accustomed to the weight class, you know, his body carrying that much weight and, and timing that goes with it. Got to wonder if some of those guys that are going up, 
whether it be 61 kilo guys going to 65 or 79 kilo guys going up to 86 or 92 going up to 97, if they will do it a year ahead of schedule to, to build that buffer in, to get accustomed to the weight class and, and get their timing down. I got to think that's going to be the case, don't you? I think every weight but 97. Yeah. I mean, that's because I think if you're a borderline guy at 92, you probably have a much better chance of winning a world medal and getting, you know, USA stipend. You're not going to probably beat Snyder, period. I mean, Snyder feels like the biggest lock on the team. But yeah. everything else, I couldn't agree with you more, you, you know, if I said it myself. Absolutely. Yeah, and 70 going to 74, I think. James Green, we've talked about that in the past. Where do, Where does he go? Seems to me like the guys that like goes up, right? Yeah, it seems to me like the guys that go up are would would do themselves a lot of good going up a year early. The guys that are are going to cut down would probably benefit more by waiting. Your thoughts on that? I yeah, I mean, like I remember, you know, I followed James Green on social media, and like he had done a test cut and done like a match simulation and all that stuff. And then we watched him at the Olympic trials and James Green's a great wrestler. He's just a really big human being for 143 pounds. And I mean, probably the worst draw he could have got was Zane Rutherford, like a guy who at that time, I think he was certainly better than in freestyle, but just a guy who's going to go super high motor, you know, and, and Green needed one match where he could kind of pick his spot, you know, and then probably get even some more fluids and food into him. And he just, you know, that was it. So, you know, like, again, Mark and I were talking about kind of who our favorites were at each at the six Olympic weights. And, like, you know, we're talking about 57. And I'm like, well, it depends if Cologne goes down or it depends if Nation goes down. And, you know, we're talking about 65. And, like, well, you got to kind of, we, you know, Zane didn't wrestle right now. Jordan Oliver is now eligible again. So, I mean, there's going to be some really interesting battles. But with this, with it set up where, you know, if you win the weight and you medal at the 2019 world, it makes my path a lot harder to get to you. I kind of got to try to cut you off at the past. And, you know, even if you medaled at the 2018 world championship, I got to give it a shot now to try to get on that team and then make you come through me. So I think you will see a lot of movement. And, you know, it's that chess, not checkers mentality. You have to be thinking ahead because, it's going to matter. It's going to really matter for sure. Let's take a quick run at the cadet world team. Chance Lamer, 41 to 45 kilos, 48 kilos. Richard Figueroa, 51 kilos. Matthew Ramos, 55 kilos. Robert Howard, 60 kilos. Josh Saunders, 65. Carson Manville, 71. Alex Facundo, 80. A. Basad, 92. A.J. Ferrari, and 110. Greg Kirkvliet, uh, returning cadet world champ. He's pretty incredible, David. I think on Saturday, the cadet world team trials, he wrestled, if I'm not mistaken, like 43 seconds. And in those 43 seconds yeah. scored 21 points. He wound up his first full minute on the mat, scored 31 points in that, that tournament, wound up uh, sweeping the best of three with, you know, two tech falls in a combined 96 seconds. Incredible performance by Robert Howard, Bergen Catholic, uh, outscored his opponents by a collective 58 to 6 count. Along the way, posted wins against Powerade champ Nick Bazakis and top ranked 113 pounder Trevor Mastro Giovanni before sweeping the best of three against 2017 Cadet World Team member Julian Tagg. This, uh, this cadet group, David, year after year, it seems like they get better and better. Yeah, it, it's a focus on that. It's it's what Cody Bickley is, you know, building it from the ground up. It's what Kevin Jackson's focused on. You know, Kirkley, it's super special. I talked to some guys that I really trust that they think he can be as good, if not better, than Gable Stevenson in college. I feel like, you know, he's a more raw talent and hasn't tapped all his potential yet. Uh you know, I actually was on the phone with Dave Bell over the weekend talking about, about Howard. And then I, I got to give a shout-out to Josh Saunders, who had a pretty tough draw. I had to beat Bo Bartlett in the quarterfinals, you know, and then go through some tough guys in the semis and finals. He, you know, he's a high school sophomore. He placed at the 
under 20s, and he literally would have been the number one seed at the under 23s based on his head-to-head win about a month ago against Arujao. So feels like this this cadet under-17 team has had the chance to get a lot of medals in Croatia. And uh, I know, you know just in talking to Josh how excited he is to be a part of that team and, and have all those guys as teammates and get to wear the USA. Any closing thoughts on Akron? I, I think next year i got to go. <laughs> like, I yeah. mean, if, if Randy Couture wasn't getting inducted in the Hall of Fame this weekend, like, I, I think that tournament gets better and better and better. And I think, you know, more and more schools feel like that their guys are going to wrestle in the summer. It used to just be like a lot of these schools, there's guys just trained and they didn't compete. And it feels like more and more of these schools are competing. I think it's a chicken and the egg. It's like, well, we have a, an RTC. So these guys can, you know, train and then compete, but also these guys want to train and compete. So we better have a good RTC so they can do something in the off season. Cause I think programs that don't have a good RTC are going to lose a recruiting battle to the ones that do. What were your highlights from Stillwater being down there at Hall of Fame weekend? Just excellent, man. Like this, you know, like Michael Martinez, Medal of Courage, just, you know, what he's overcome. I think the humility of these, of these greats, um, Sanders Schultz's introduction of his mom, Nancy, um, not a dry eye in the room. And, uh, it's Nancy Schultz is, is an amazing person. Her, uh, her dignity, her attitude about what happened, um, her ability to stay above the fray. Uh, you know, obviously I'm partial to a guy like Randy, but his humility as well. All of these people, Henry Cejudo, just all of them are Henry and I have one mutual friend and, you know, he walked up to me and goes, Hey, how are you? You know, so-and-so told me all about you. And I'm like, this is your weekend, bro. You know, <laughs> you know, like you just, you would, these guys would, they're the opposite of the guy that, you know, like won one tournament in high school. Like they're the opposite of uncle Rico, you know, just, they're just the most humble down to earth, grateful for what they have. Um, just, it's impressive, man. You know, it's just really, really impressive. And just to see all the people that come back every year and, and that community down there, it, 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 it's, uh, it's overwhelming. If you're not humbled by that, then there's something probably wrong with you. Kyle and I had a chance to talk to Nancy Schultz last week for On the Mad. If you get a chance, check out that interview. She had a lot of pretty interesting stories that she told about Dave Schultz and in her past in wrestling, how how and why she has stayed involved the way she has. Uh, lots of cool stuff during that interview. I learned a lot about Nancy Schultz during that half hour or so interview that Kyle Klingman and I did with her. Impressive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, Final X, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it has arrived this week. Let's take a run through the bout order here real quick. 70 kilograms, going to get things started. James Green against Jason Chamberlain, followed by women's freestyle, 59 kilos. Allie Reagan against Jenna Burkett, 97 kilos in men's freestyle. The three-time world and Olympic champion Kyle Snyder against Kyvan Gadsden, 55 kilos women's freestyle. 2017 world bronze medalist Becca Leathers against Jakara Winchester, 57 kilos, men's freestyle, 2017 world silver medalist Thomas Gilman against 2017 junior world champion Dayton Fix. 68 kilos in women's freestyle, Tamara Stock against Randy Belts. Then wrapping things up, at least for the first couple rounds, 74 kilograms, five-time world Olympic champion Jordan Burroughs, the hometown favorite against two-time NCAA champion Isaiah Martinez. When you look at Saturday night's lineup, and it's a pretty good card, obviously Gilman Fix is pretty fascinating, and I think that's probably the one that stands out the most. Yeah. What are going to be keys in that series that you think are going to be ultra pivotal positions that will determine the men's freestyle world team member 57. 
Well, when we watched Gilman beat Ramos, he did it with that left side underhook series and really controlled him. If he left side underhooks Thick, Thick is probably going to let him have that position and, and use his inside reach. And, you know, I'm not saying he's going to get it. Obviously, you know, Thomas Gilman's really good, but you're almost kind of going into what Fix likes best. Like, it's an interesting matchup because Fix doesn't shoot a lot. He shoots almost not at all from space. I mean, he, he did it. He had that great double leg against Zach Sanders, but that was exceptional. Like, he hadn't done that in forever. And then he's so good with his pass buys. I think the other thing you really have to look at is when he was defending against Ramos, when Ramos would hit that sweep single, he would just turn his back and toe out of that, Fix would. And obviously Tom and Terry and Mark Perry have video of that, and they're going to make an adjustment. And, you know, so the question is, will, will Gilman be able to catch that foot? And if he does then what happens? And if he's not able to catch it, then you're taking away Gilman's best shot. So, um, and then the thing, you know, like we all, a lot of people thought, oh, well, if Fix gets on top of Ramos, it's a wrap. Well, it wasn't. To me, Gilman looks substantially bigger than Tony Ramos at the 2016 trials. Not that size has a lot to do with it, but I'm not sure that Fix is a lock to turn Gilman by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, it feels like a takedown battle. Um, they both have great coaches in their corners. I talked to John Smith. He's definitely going to Lincoln. So um, I, I think it's fascinating. And I think the chess match that happens after, you know, between matches one and two and possibly between matches two and three are, are interesting. Um, I know you never pick who you think is going to win, but like, what what other things do you think are going to be really important of who, to whoever ends up getting the job done? Well, I think your point about Gilman on bottom is is pretty accurate. I don't think he's gotten turned. I can't remember the last time that I saw Thomas Gilman get turned in a freestyle match. Uh, so that's... And he can tire you out from the bottom, right? Like, <laughs> And uh, so, so I think that that's it, it's such a an interesting matchup for so many reasons. The points that, that you laid out, Thomas Gilman's problems in high-level matches, it hasn't been guys just blowing him off his feet. It's been his inability to finish single legs. And Correct. Dayton Fix is hard to finish single legs against. Uh, as you mentioned, Dayton Fix, a monster on top. Thomas Gilman's hard to turn. Uh, so those are a couple areas to me why it's it's such a fascinating matchup, and you know we're going to be seeing a lot of probably these two, and you throw in Spencer Lee and some other guys in there as well. It, like fifty-seven kilos to me over the course of you know, the next six years is going to be so much fun to watch, and. Man, we're we're in for a treat for what for what we're going to see between now and in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I, I think without a doubt, like when when Mark and I were talking about who we thought were the guys at that weight, it's these two plus obviously Spencer Lee. I don't think Cologne can get down. We were saying maybe Garrett if he gets down, and uh, and a Thomas Bello. We feel like those are kind of the top five guys that you could see um, doing that. And this is a weight where. Gilman did medal last year, but he, he, he took advantage of a really good draw. And he's lost to a couple international guys this year. So I don't think on paper America would be favored to win a world medal, which would then really set 2019 up as, as, an, as an open weight class where you want to make the team and go medal at the world there to set yourself up for 2020 like we talked about earlier. I would say this. I think 57 kilos worldwide right now. Yeah, Yuki Takahashi is the reigning world champ, but Thomas Gilman was in that match with him in Carver Hawkeye Arena. And I don't want to say he let it get away, but he had a chance to really put a stranglehold on that match, and he let it let that opportunity slip. 
I, I think Gilman has proven he can go with the top guys in the world. Uh, but also, he's proven that uh, over the course of the last, uh, what, 14, 15 matches that he's had, he's he's dropped six or seven of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's lost to high-level guys. It's not like he has uh, gotten beat by you know, just random guys from around the world. The guys that he's lost to have been really high-caliber wrestlers, world medalist types. I think Dayton Fix showed at the junior level the unbelievable dominance that, that he displayed last year in Finland. It was incredible the way he rolled through that tournament, one of, uh, one of the best tournaments in the world. Uh, I think, yeah, I think your point, yeah, I don't think it's a shoe in that the United States wins a medal in Budapest, uh, at 57 kilos, but I, I certainly wouldn't want to count either one of these guys out of title contention over there either. So I think uh, a lot depends on draw. A lot depends on just how razor sharp they're going to be getting to their positions and, and shoring up some of, uh, some of the areas where they might be maybe a little bit deficient at this point. When I talk about Gilman finishing those shots, he got in on Takahashi, I don't know, six times maybe in that world final last yeah. year and didn't convert any of them. He got in on him repeatedly. He got in on Edrish Vili at the World Cup. Uh, he got in on uh, and- Andreu at the Pan Am Championships. Uh, just inability to finish those consistently. If he shores that up, he makes himself a world title contender. Dayton fix. I think, uh, if, if he can find a way to get to some more scores on his feet to go with, uh, how lethal he is on top. I think he's right there with the best guys in the world as well. So as I mentioned, 57, David, it's, uh, I, I, I got to believe the United States is going to have somebody that's going to be in metal contention there. But to your point, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a stone cold lock the way some of the other weights are. Right. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Obviously these guys are great. It just, it's, it's a weight class that could really open itself up in 2019 where the U S open would become monumentally important. And there's been a lot of complaints about this process this year about, it it was repetitive and it was expensive. And so there's no guarantee that the 2019 process will be identical to what, what they had this year. So it, it just, I don't know, like the opposite of being a prisoner of the moment is always looking ahead too much. And I'm probably more wired to look at it that way, which isn't probably really healthy either. But um, when you nerd out, you think about stuff like that. This weekend's going to be fascinating. And then it's the first domino in the setup for what, you know, what's coming up for the next 24 months for sure. What are you eager to find out this weekend? Well, I mean, I, I talked to Dayton down in, in Stillwater and, you know, you know, I think he, like, I think he adjusts really well. Like I think when he wrestled Ramos at the U S open, we just got a feel. And like, you know, if you've ever coached guys, like you talk to your guy, like how strong did this guy feel here? Cause it doesn't always, you don't always see it. Like maybe the guy, your guy backs out and you're like, no, I, he wasn't strong here. I just didn't like this position. And conversely, there's a position where you think your guy's good. And you're like, I just couldn't move here, but I hung out. So um, I think he does a really good job of adjusting. So he just, he had a lot more time to adjust from Vegas to Rochester than he will for match one to match two. Um I also am very interested in how Gilman does with Spencer Lee. Cause if Spencer Lee is beating him, I think that's an advantage to Dayton fix in terms of mentality coming in. And I think if, if he's beating Spencer Lee, then I think that's a really big advantage to Gilman, even though, like you said, he's lost to some top quality guys. It's still, Hey, you know, I'm still beating one, you know, a guy that just walked through nationals and, you know, a three-time world champion at age group. So we don't know that answer. And, uh, I tried to get it out of Terry brands and he didn't give it to me, but I, I think the answer to that, if I knew the answer to that question, I think I know who I would pick. Women's freestyle, 55 kilos, Becca leathers, 2017 world bronze medalist against Jakar Winchester had a chance to talk to Jakar Winchester up in Rochester, Super confident coming into that. And Becca Leathers yeah. coming off a world bronze a year ago 
had shoulder surgery coming back from that. Uh, I was really impressed with the way that she wrestled over in Paris. I think that's going to be a really fun series to watch. When you look at, uh, you take 57 kilos men's freestyle out of the equation. What, uh, what's the, the next series that you're most anxious to watch this weekend? I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Allie Reagan and Randy Belts because Randy's from St. Louis. He's trained with us. And Allie's from right across the river in Illinois. So, you know, I'm rooting for those girls, especially Randy. She's, she's an awesome girl. Um, you know, but I love Kyvin, but I obviously feel like Snyder's a heavy favorite. Um, I've gotten a chance to meet Imar, but you feel like Burroughs is a really big favorite. And Chamberlain's been really impressive, but it, I find it, to be a really difficult task for him to beat James Green two out of three in Lincoln. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot of drama in those weight classes. I think the reason why, you know, you, you started off at 57 is because we're not sure who's going to win. And, you know, that, that's always what's, what's interesting. So, um, you know, some of the other weight classes are, you know, there's some really like, 61, I think you could flip a coin on and some stuff like that. But I'm also really just interested how many people show up for a three-hour, two to maybe four-hour event, like yeah. versus what it was last year with two full days. Like, I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like. Me too. You know, I, hope, I, hope, I hope they do well. Me too, and I think that that's, that's the biggest question for Final X that I have for the entire process is how many people are going to be in the stands. Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth all of the steps, all the travel, all of the hoopla over Final X? Will it be worth going away from what last year was, boy, one of the best, maybe the best world team trials <laughs> slash Olympic trials that I've ever seen, and it led to a men's freestyle title in Paris. And you talk about the trade-off here of having it on three separate weekends, not to mention uh, – uh, you know, we've we've talked about it. You know that, that for the fan that wants to go watch it under wants to go watch the entire process, you got to go. You got to do a lot of travel. You got to spend a lot of money to make that happen. Now, on top of it, they come out of it, and you've got athletes that are on three separate training cycles. Now, you got athletes that are geared up for the first weekend. You got athletes that are geared up for the second and the third, and you know what do you do as a coach to combat that coming away from that to get your team on the same page again, moving forward for the world championships. So like I've said all along, I'm, I'm going into it with an open mind. I'm curious to see how it turns out. For sure. And you know, everything you said is, is absolutely, I agree with the other thing that you're sort of saying, but we're not literally saying out loud is like, like Ohio state, they have to go to two different final X's and, Arizona state has to go to two different final X's and they have guys training for essentially the same team that are on different cycles by a week or two. Fresno and state. That's I'm sorry. Fresno state as well. Chamberlain and Cologne. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Got to give those guys Valley RDC credit. Right. So like while link, you know, while Nebraska and Penn state and a couple of these other places kind of got it their way you know, a lot of these other guys kind of got caught in the wash there. And, you know, so, I mean, I know I was talking to Zeke and, you know, he's like, there's a lot of travel and it's a lot of, here's the thing too. Like, I don't know who goes first for them, but I don't know. I don't remember, but let's say it's Garrett first and then Valencia. There's three or four days that Zeke Jones isn't with Valencia. You know, that's not ideal. So, and it's not like, well, we just train and we'll come back and work on it next week. Like, this is the biggest tournament of Zahid Valencia's life or Garrett's, which, you know, both of them. So one of them is going to be without their primary coach for at least three days, you know, or have to travel up there with them. And then you got to, you know, your food isn't the same. It, there's a lot to this that, like you said, I hope it out, the good outweighs the bad. This was obviously all started because of, you know, Prowl and those guys trying to get these guys money. That part I like. The storyline part I like where, you know, you know a couple weeks out who's going to wrestle who. You know, but I read an article or an interview with Dan Gable where he was like, it was confusing in Rochester which ones were two out of three, which ones were one. 
they probably need to simple figure out a way to simplify this for the, you know, for the average fan a little bit more. I think if, if Dan Gable's confused, if they probably need simplification. Well, we've talked at length, David, on this show about the fact that wrestling's an anomaly. That the higher you go on the ladder, the smaller the following gets. Why isn't international wrestling getting followed in the United States like it does it? like college wrestling does. Why is it that the U.S. Open, or, or let's use a World Cup even, in Iowa City drew half as many fans as the state championships <laughs> do? So yeah, I think this is a measure that's been taken to try to correct that a little bit, to try to grow the fan base of international wrestling. I don't know if it's going to solve that problem or not, but we will find out. By the end of the month, we'll know whether – this was a success or whether it was, well, nice try that didn't quite hit the mark. But uh, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. I don't know if you have feelings on that, whether it's going to be a massive success or whether it's going to be a huge swing and a miss. But uh, I, I'm like you. I want it to be successful, right? I mean, you don't even put it out there that it's not. You don't even want to put that out in the universe. Um so I want it to be successful. Yep. I don't even know what numbers would be considered successful because I'm sure these venues paid USA Wrestling three separate venue fees versus one. You know, I mean, I, I ran these events and there's multiple ways you can structure compensation and payoff and revenue sharing and all that stuff. I don't know which one they did. Obviously, the people that run USA Wrestling are really smart and the people at these venues are really smart. Uh I'm with you. I mean, I'm new to the media, but I'm a, a long-time wrestling coach and fan and participant. And that tournament in Lincoln last year was about as epic as it gets. And, you know, both on the junior and the senior level. So I don't think it could possibly match that just because it's spread out. So, you know, I mean, I thought Vegas was really cool because it felt a little bit like that and Rochester felt a little bit like that. But it doesn't feel the same because, like, yeah, but they still got to do this or – yeah, he's still got to wrestle Burroughs, or he's still got to wrestle Gilman, or you know, still got to wrestle Snyder, and you know, now it just feels a little different. But I mean, I give, you know, when we had Xander Schultz and Cody Bickley on, the one thing I said to Cody then, and I'll say the same thing now: I give those guys credit for not winning and sitting on their hands. You know, not saying, well, we, you know, why would we change anything? Like they're not afraid to change, and that is. Uh, that, I, that is definitely something to respect because it probably wasn't the popular decision. You know, the easy decision would be like, we won the world leaving the USA, and why would we change anything? So I respect those guys tremendously for that. Yeah. Yep. Anything else this week, David? No, sir. Heading off to Indianapolis in, in two days, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, then the next final X and then the world team trials in Greco and the junior duels and the other final X and all kinds of stuff coming up. Well, before we yeah, sign off, crazy. before we sign off, fill us in on Matt chat. You had dairy brands last week. You have Truman state coach, David shooter this week. Tell us a little bit about those interviews. Terry brands is, is always fun. I mean, you, you know, you know him better than I do. He, uh, he has all the respect in the world for you and your work. Um, he was cool. He talked about coaching his son, Nelson, talked about transfers. He talked his opinion about the world team trials or the world qualifying process. Um, you know, he, and the cool thing about a guy like Terry is he, you know, he pretty much says what's on his mind. I even asked him about, you know, was he worried about there being a, a 2020 problem at 57 kilos like they had in 2016? So his answers are pretty interesting. David Shooter is a guy, he coaches at Truman State University. Uh, he's a guy, I actually wrestled against his guys. He's a coach there since 1990. Him and my dad are really good friends. He was uh, one of Randy Couture's invitees to the event uh, this past weekend. I talked to him. Truman State, the athletic director, is trying to cut the program. So had him on. And for people that don't know, you know, my major was in finance, and I spent – the vast majority of my professional life in finance. So we really attacked the situation from a financial point of view, which is, is the wrestling program costing the school money or not? 
um, what he said was very, there's a lot of revelations there, but, you know, basically he has the truth on his side. He has finances on his side. Um, he was working with uh, Mike Moyer in the NWCA to save the program. And I have never in my life, and I've done one one thousandth of the interviews I have, and you have, but I think I've done over 70. I've never in my life heard a guy say, well, if it comes down to it, I'm just going to put up my own property and make sure that the program doesn't get cut. Wow. And that's what Coach, Coach Shooter said. I literally said, wow, in the middle of the podcast like you just did. We need to help this man and this program so he's not putting up his acreage as collateral to save the program because that, that should not be his responsibility. So we're going to do our best to help him with track. You know, I talked to him about some marketing ideas and partnership with MissouriWrestling.com, who Jonathan Dixon does a great job in, you know, helping that program as well and some fundraising ideas we talked off air and on air about some of those. Um, that'll probably come out, at, you know, in a week or so. But in the meantime, you can go to Truman State Wrestling on Facebook, and they're going to have a, a a donate now button there, and they're working on like some fundraising T-shirts and things like that. They have a contest that runs till the end of June, and the winner, the winning team, gets an additional ten thousand uh, dollars from donations. And right now, they're in the lead. They need to raise seventy five thousand. And they're right, right around 20 right now. So if they can raise some more and win that, they'd be, you know, at 30, 40, 50. And then they have till October to raise the other, you know, the difference to get to 75. Um, I started doing podcasts just because, you know, you, you know, we all thought it might be a good idea. And I had some friends that had some cool things to say. But in a weird way, this might be maybe the most powerful one I could do if, it, if we as – a company can help literally save a program. I think that's probably what, what a platform is for. So I'm really hoping that it's well received and not only do people get educated, educated on it, but get agitated about it and take action. That That's my goal from this podcast for sure. Great stuff, David. Before we sign off, got some news to report here. A couple of things popped into my email inbox since we started recording Isaiah Martinez has signed an apparel deal with Rudis. Uh, that's joining Kyle Snyder on board with Rudis. And as well, we kicked this thing off talking about transfers. We're going to close it with transfers. We talked about Billy Miller to Virginia Tech, leaving Edinburgh. He's going to be joined by Corbin Myers, the 133-pounder, also leaving Edinburgh and going to Virginia Tech. So unless you have any thoughts on – that news, David, we're going to sign off. Always a pleasure talking to you, Andy. I really enjoy it. Likewise, we enjoy the fact that each and every one of you take the time to download and listen each week on the Matt Talk Podcast Network through iTunes, or you can listen to us, of course, on Track Wrestling if you're already listening to us on the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Be sure to check out David's Matt Chad interviews with Terry Brands and David Shooter. Kyle Klingman and I will be having an On the Mat episode this week from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum golf outing on Hall of Fame weekend here in town. So be sure to check that out. We're going to have a lot of great guests from up in Waverly. That will be coming to you on Friday. I hope to have that up sometime Friday or over the course of the weekend. So be sure to check that out as well. For David Mirkatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Thanks for listening to Weighing In.